Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, what an eventful day that turned out to be yesterday. And I don't mean... England beating Germany. Come here, is there any more annoying chant in world sport than shut up about it? Okay, so they beat Germany for the first time since 1900 and frozen to death and that's big for them. But I just think, and watching all the video, shut up, okay? It's an awful chant. Find something else to chant about. But that's just me. I don't see why we wouldn't support England anyway, seeing as we follow their teams every weekend. But we've had that argument on the program before, and I tend to get it in the neck every time I say it. But sure, that's that's where the, the Euros are going now. Good morning to you. 1850 That wasn't what I meant about an eventful day, though. Michal Martin got to his feet on the podium outside government buildings yesterday afternoon and dropped a few shockers on us. Well, it wasn't a shocker that we weren't going to be reopening the pubs or the restaurants indoors after the 5th of July. That wasn't going to happen. That was predicted. That was called, called very accurately. But also, this plan for a vaccine pass, as they're calling it. The idea that, look, if we are going to open the pubs, for the time being at least, which is the bit they seem to have left out. They're, They're not saying that. I'm assuming and hoping and praying that that is what they mean. But for the time being at least, Access to indoors in a pub would be for someone who is fully vaccinated. Or access to indoors in a restaurant would be for someone who's fully vaccinated. It leads to many, many questions, many, many arguments, many, many discussions. Is it even possible to do it? Your newspaper's full of it this morning. Echo says that the decision to delay the return of indoor dining and hospitality described as soul-destroying for those in the sector with many receiving deliveries in preparation for the 5th of July. That's their front page. The Star, publican, enemy number one, 
Pub owners slam the latest ban on reopening. Plan to allow vaccinated punters indoors. Now, this is absolute crap. And I did, I don't even going to read it. The star liking it to, I'm not going to read it. Eddie Hobbs also made a very stupid tweet yesterday where he put up a, a symbol. And I'm not even going to read that. That's a stupid headline. News scramble to save summer after shock warning from Neffet is the front page of the Irish Independent. Taoiseach told indoor dining could be banned for the foreseeable unless we do this vaccination thing. The modelling from Europe is scary. The modelling from the European Centre for Disease Control is scary as to where this Delta variant could go. The data analysts who were warning us of this in April and they're all over social media this morning, and I heard one of them uh, on early morning radio talking, look, this isn't a surprise. We told you about this in April, that this thing was growing and growing at a scary rate. But the newspaper's full of that, and as always, the front page of the Irish Sun says, shambolic and unfair. Adam Higgins, their political correspondent, has the front page, and before we came to air, I caught up with him once more. Adam, good morning once again. It looks like the Taoiseach and Tanishta and Green Party leader have two teams to try to get back on side. They've got to get the hospitality industry back on side, but they've got to start in their own cabinet room because according to your front page story this morning, that wasn't a happy camp yesterday. No, it wasn't. As far as I'm, I'm uh, told, it, that the cabinet was quite split on this issue. There was four ministers that were kind of leading the charge against this proposal for to have a, a vaccine pass. And ministers raised concerns that this was going to leave young people behind and create this kind of intergenerational divide in society that they felt could be quite dangerous. They also raised concerns that going out to, to the public yesterday and bringing up this plan would raise uh, questions about a lack of clarity and a lack of certainty for the hospitality industry. Now, the, the ministers that I'm told... Um, Voice concerns about this include the Higher Education Minister, Simon Harris, the Education Minister, Norma Foley, the Chief Whip, Jack Chambers, and the Public Expenditure Minister, Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil. Like, they've got to get those four back on board. They've got to get unity in there before they can even dream of unity with the hospitality sector. Well, the, the, the decision yesterday was unanimous from the government, from the cabinet. They all went in with the decision and said, okay, look, if this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. But there are unhappy campers within the ministerial cabinet. But I think the next situation now that, that we're going to see today is um, the Tarnish Lea Varadkar, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly and the Tourism Minister Catherine Martin will all meet with some hospitality sector uh, figures today. And I was speaking to some of them last night, and one of them told me that this was going to be a very difficult meeting for the ministers, and that they're going to give them an absolute earful, is what they what they said. So there's another thing about that meeting is it is a regular meeting that's scheduled, but the health minister never sits in that meeting. So I'd, I'd assume he's coming along to try and explain the the virus situation to the, the hospitality sector, but needless to say, that's going to be a very difficult meeting this afternoon. Was there any sense coming out of Leinster House yesterday or this morning that this vaccine passport might be doable? Well, just yesterday, the minute this came out, unworkable, possibly illegal, absolutely bananas. They're just some of the words that were used to describe this plan. And to, to be fair to the government, they were uh, kind of landed in it by Nesset. That, that Nesset hadn't mentioned this plan before. They'd never spoken really about this uh, vaccination pass in the in the 
weeks previous to this, and we saw the Tarnish yesterday uh, on a Monday, believing that they, the government were going to be able to provide total clarity, was which is what we used in our headline that he was said hospitality sector will get total clarity on Tuesday and I think everybody would, would confess that we're far, far from total clarity today and yesterday. So Neffert landed them in with this um, passport plan and then the government just kind of swallowed it whole and said, okay, look, we're going to do it. You think it's a good idea, we're going to do it. Even though they had no plan, nothing in place, hadn't spoken to the industry figures. So it's going to be a very difficult two weeks, a lot of questions to ask. And I'm not sure whether this this whole passport situation will be workable in the way it was proposed yesterday. Is there any suggestion that this wasn't a surprise from Neffet? And the actual fact, they knew. I'm not sure whether whether senior figures at the cabinet table would know. that The minister in charge of this would have been Minister Donnelly, who works with um, Dr. Tony Hoolan, the, the chair of Neffet, and would, works in the same building. As far as I, I, I know, he works on the same floor just across the hall from him. So, if anyone would know, it would be Minister Donnelly, but we've seen Minister Donnelly on prime time last night saying that he didn't see this coming. Yeah. Where does it go from here, Adam? You know, two weeks is the 19th. That's when travel is supposed to open. We note that while they're going to look at this vaccine passport thing, there is no timeline, there is no plan. So where are we on this nice morning, the 30th of June? Where, where are we going? Well, a question that the Taoiseach was asked yesterday was, because they brought up this 19th of July date themselves, which as you're right, lines with uh, the international the restart of international travel. And the Taoiseach was asked, so are you saying to hospitality, this is when we're, get, we're going to get you open, plan or no plan? And he said, he can't promise that. It may not be July 19th. So really, hospitality sectors, workers and, and owners have no idea when they're going to reopen. They just have this kind of vague idea of some sort of a vaccine plan that many legal experts would say is questionable whether it can be rolled out in Ireland. Now, you see this, people will quote that, like, you know, they're using this in different countries, similar plans. But if you look at where this is involved in the likes of Denmark, they also have the option for a, a PCR test or an antigen test. And we know that NEFID are against antigen tests. So in Denmark, you can go to a pub if you're fully vaccinated, go inside a pub or inside a restaurant if you're fully vaccinated, if you can prove you've had COVID in the last nine months, or if you have a negative PCR antigen test. And the government so far says, that's that's not the route we're going to go down. That's not the route Neffet wants us to go down. We're only going to go down the nine-month rule and the vaccinated rule. That would really create a divide in people who, because there are a lot of people who don't want to get a vaccine for whatever reason, completely up themselves. And we are leaving those people now behind saying, well, you can't come inside, which is a really questionable way to go and and a difficult policy, I think, to introduce. Adam, we shall talk again. Thank you, as always. Brilliant, PJ. Thanks a million. Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun, their political correspondent on the events of the last 24 hours. They are evolving as we speak. Leo Varadkar has given a considerably long interview to uh, news talk this morning. I've got some clips from that where he's taking it forward, I suppose. He's being pushed a little bit on where we go from here. We've got some clips from that. But as regards to people in other countries doing vaccine passports or corona passes as they're known in some places, we know that, as Adam explained there in his piece, that Denmark certainly has a, a system in place. Back in February, I spoke to Daniel Rosehill, uh, who's from Cork but based in Israel. 
And Daniel, at that point, had just gotten his second vaccine. This is back in February. Remember how fast they were with the rollout. But Israel was looking to a vaccine pass, a corona pass type system. Now, it hasn't worked for them. But back then, Daniel told me just what it was all about, as he could see it. And he was trying to get information just as someone who would have to use it in the next couple of days. Say you want to go to a shop or you want to go to a cafe. How does this thing work on your phone? You know, basically, you'll it, it's tied to your system. So the way it works is there's a few different health funds and every citizen has to be in one of these health organizations. Um, so basically, once you do it, you know, you get a credential and then you download an app. And that's the way they want people to do it is to use the smartphone app. But if you want to get the literally a piece of paper in the post, you can do that. So there is going to be ways for everybody to get uh, this code if they want it. And then you're going to show that to um, a venue and the venue is going to is going to have to use the app as well. So you're going to need to use the app and give that to the venue. So it's all going to be through this system um, is, is how it's going to work. So when you're going into somewhere like, and you say a venue, say a pub or a concert hall or a theatre or wherever you want to go, you will have the, the app on your phone, they'll have the app on their computers and their app will check your vaccination status and, and in you go, is that it? That's pretty much it. And then if, you know, the people that have had COVID um, are exempt, so they'll also be eligible for the for that status in this app. But it's it's all it's all very, very, very experimentary. The apps, the apps, uh, the apps, a bit of a disaster. The listing in the app store doesn't even say what it does. So, you know, it's basically you can see the government's basically winging this and trying to do the best managing a, a very strange situation. Okay, that was February. Um, to the best of my understanding, Israel subsequently abandoned that system. Now, they did achieve herd immunity uh, in the early part of the year. They too, by the way, are worried in Germany about the Delta variant at this stage. Also, good morning to Audrey. Audrey in Hamburg, we've spoken to her before. We'll talk to her on the show tomorrow, but she said, we've had indoor dining for the last two weeks. It just started with a maximum of five, changed to maximum of ten about a week ago, but is a pain in the ass. You can't come inside unless you produce a negative test from a centre or if you've been fully vaccinated more than two weeks. So they're doing that in Germany. But as Audrey said, it's a pain in the ass and she'll tell us more on tomorrow's show. Let's go downtown and see how workable it might be next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. <laughs> All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy, KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With Lucy's Nissan Charleville. Put a smile on your face with the all-new Duke. The Coupe Crossover. LucyMotors.com. Corks 96 FM. Corks 96 FM. Sean says, all in this together is just gone. I'm 32. I haven't been offered a vaccine yet, but now I've been told I won't be allowed into a restaurant. I'm very disappointed. I understand the pragmatic 
safety first approach and I understand the need for the hospitality sector to get people back indoors. But how can people who've done the right thing for the past 18 months be discriminated against because of age? It's a view. Let's go down to Clancy's Paul Montgomery. Monty, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm not too bad. Last year, Monty, when faced with the prospect of doing outdoor dining, you did it. And we all know how well it has worked. Could you do this with vaccine passes? Um, you know, I'm just listening to this morning to the guy you just had on about the app and stuff there. And uh, I'm wondering how it's going to work. Because, you know, if the technology isn't there, like, we're not going to be able to make it work. So... I suppose if they're bringing in a vaccine passport and the technology is there, you'd say, Grant, we'll, we'll try and make it work. I suppose, PJ, all I know is that we don't want to be shut down again. So I live with anything, any sort of vaccine passport, any sort of outdoor, any sort of indoor, but yeah. don't shut us down again. Because I can tell you now the industry is demoralized as it is and we're just getting back. And even people that have three tables outside our door, 10 tables, one table, but to be back working and serving customers is what we need to be at and we just don't need to be shut down again. And what I didn't like all week was the talk that if, you know, they open indoor dining and indoor dining seems to be the root of all evil at the moment for some reason, that we're going to be shut down, you know, again. So that's the one thing none of us could tell us. Mm. So if there was a workable system, to allow yeah. people in with proof of vaccination or proof that they had had the virus yeah. within the last bring nine it. months, you'd be able to work it bring if there was a system. Oh, bring it on. I mean, like, to be honest, PJ, our, our system is, is very simple, in, we'll say, in Clancy's, and we can, we've adapted to all our venues, is that, you know, people book on Res Diary, I'm sure that, you know, we, we can adapt the system that people, you know, we're saying that the only way you can book indoors is... is is if you're vaccinated. Now it just comes down to then, so we're checking temperatures anywhere of people coming in, so we're doing a lot of checks. So if it's a case of spending another 30 seconds in checking, like I'm fully vaccinated, as I'm sure you are, PJ, and we have a card, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one way, okay? So if the technology isn't there, people have their cards and they know it. And in general, as the smoking rules happened years ago, a lot of these things are self-policing, PJ, you know? So I'd be very happy that if people are saying it's you have to have your vaccine card or vaccine passport. This this will this will be self policing because people in general are good and their nature is good and they're not out there to con people. You know, one of the and things that was being warned about yesterday, and I took a call or two on it, was that if you have the cards, and actually we all have our cards at home now, and I, I'm yeah. I'm going to laminate them so we can carry them around with us because that's yeah. I think it's going to become a reality. But here's the thing, right? There'll be a fortune in forged cards. You know how easy it is to forge an ID. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look at this. Is I'm 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 going back to everything in life. You can people can forge their tax returns. They can do everything, but to to a large degree, you you have to depend on on self policing. So, like that's the only way this is going to work. And I think maybe the government are leaving an out for themselves here, in that they're saying by the 19th of July. You know, you will have a certain amount of indoor dining. It's not the all-out indoor dining that we wanted, but consider this as well. For the last three and a half weeks now, we are Cork City and the country is dealing with outdoor dining, and people have adapted. Cork City Council have adapted in Cork. We have several pedestrianised streets. They've allowed every um, business put their furniture outside, so anyone that wants to open can open at the moment. 
So people are getting out and I can absolutely report that we have had a great start to all of this. So this is an add-on. So if, you know, I, I can't be negative this morning about it because I, the risk of us closing down again is too great. So mm. all we can say is, let's add on. It mightn't have been, you know, we were never back to 100% capacity of indoor anywhere. We were somewhere around 40 or 50%. So even on the 19th of July, if we were at 25% and in a week or two later, we're, we're building up, well, well, we'll take that. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll manage it and take it. But that's, that's the language I think we need to be talking about now is to see how, how we can... Um, you know, like I, I'm not going to say to someone get vaccinated if they don't want to get vaccinated. That's totally up to themselves. But I think in general, the younger cohort, you know, will look at vaccinations in different ways and they'll say, well, can I travel? Can I dine indoors or whatever? And they don't have to do it. And I, I, I know a lot of our customers are vaccinated, will be vaccinated. And those that are don't, we have, don't want to be, have, we, we have facilities outdoors as well. So, I just think maybe we've got to be positive about it this morning and say the 19th of July is a date. It's not a definite date, but if if people book with us either directly or on our my phone or on our website, we we can say you know if, if there's clarity today and tomorrow about this or in the next week, well then we can go back to taking bookings, you know. And we've a lot of people who have bookings made that want to change them and cancel them, and we, we need to deal with this this week. We, we can't. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I would say is that. We need to be able to deal with it and say to people, well, look at, you know, they've said possibly the 19th for vaccinated people indoors, outdoors, continue. Let's see how we can adjust to the new announcements. Yeah. And and just to clarify, you, you're, what you're saying to me this morning, Paul, is if there's a workable system, bring it on. Do you think, oh, yeah. and you're down there in a large group of businesses now down in, yeah. in Princeton, do you think that's the general view? I, I, I think from, I'm sitting here on sunny Princess Street this morning talking to you, looking out at, at people up and down the street. I think that we have adapted well. We've shown that we can adapt to the outdoor dining. We've shown we can adapt to, you know, how we treat people in a humane way when they come in and we want to give people, you know, a good time or people come out for, to enjoy themselves, not to be obviously checked for cards and up and down in and out. But we, we are checking for IDs. You know, we opened a new venue, Conway's Yard, and we're, like yesterday, thankfully, we had a queue of people before the English match, and we're checking IDs at the door, and we're checking for fake IDs, and we're trying to make it work. So we're we're used to that in, in the industry, you know. So like, take the restaurants in Princess Street, can they adapt to to um, people that are vaccinated? Well, I think they can because you will know from looking at someone, PJ, when they walk up to the door, more or less their age, they are if they're vaccinated. You're you're just adding you're just adding another bit onto it, then you know. So. Like, and I, I do believe in the good nature of people in general, and I think that some are out there to fool the system, but in general, people comply with, 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 with what regulations are there. And Ireland and Cork has proven that over the past number of months. While we might be disappointed today, we have got to make this work. Like We, we have to stay open. And I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if there's a workable solution and if there's, whether it's an app or whether it's people bring their cars or some hybrid of both, We'll make it work. We'll make it work on Princess Street. We'll make it work in our venues and just keep the city going and let's encourage people to keep going out and that there isn't a fear factor there. I sat with my cousin, she's a GP here in Cork, Joanne, last Saturday night. She was on Marlborough Street and she was outdoors and she said it was the most horrendous year she ever had as a GP in her 25 or 60 years as a doctor. So we have to listen to that and say, like, we can't go back to it. Like, we can't go back to a December, January situation or our hearts will be broken in the industry. We, we, like, we, just, we definitely wouldn't survive another lockdown. 
All right, Paul, thank you very much. Paul Montgomery of Clancy's. And let's be very clear what he's just after saying. He has said that if there's a workable system, then bring it on. Workable system for people to go inside Clancy's, proving their vaccine status, then bring it on. That's what Paul Montgomery is saying. What do you think? 1850-715-996. Will I go straight to line two? I will, Terry. Thank you very much. Line two is Mary. Mary, good morning. Hi, um, PJ. Good morning. Listen, PJ, I was just, you know, the I was thinking last night when I heard about the um, the revised uh, and all the worry about the indoor dining. Why the pubs at the time of the introduction of the smoking ban? Mm-hmm. The smoking had to be outside. They were saying that they could manage it indoors in their restaurants between having smoking areas and non-smoking areas. Why can't we have vaccinated areas and non-vaccinated areas? And if you want to go out for a meal with people who aren't vaccinated, you know that you have to sit with them the same way as when they were smoking, you had to sit with them at that table. Yeah. You know, most fancies and all those, they have upstairs and downstairs and ways of segregating things and it would really minimise the risk and unless you can prove you're vaccinated you sit in the non-vaccinated in yeah. the non-vaccinated area it's, you know it's it's they were the ones who said that they could manage the smoking um, time and time again the spread of COVID is likened to the spread of cigarette smoke yeah. it's airborne it's masks it's you know the two metres is all similar to the passive smoking yeah. dangers of cigarette smoke so the pubs were at the forefront of saying that they could manage the smoking indoors. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't get their way, and I think everybody is glad of that. I don't think anybody would want to go back to the way it was before. But couldn't this be... Man- it's, it's a, and this is a short-term thing. In fairness, like this kind of thing of that we're kind of introducing an apartheid system into the country. In fairness, this is a short-term health what would you need, Mary, when any official announcement is being made about this? Would you need it to say very much so that this is for the time being and to put a date after which it won't apply? I don't know about it. Well, it definitely should say that it's, it's temporary, but it's, it's until the risk of serious, you know, detriment to... Until the, until the risks involved with this, you know what I mean, are... I do are minimal compared to the risk of, you know, the health of the citizens of this country. I don't think any industry can put their own interests before the health interests of the general population. Mary, thank you very much for your call this morning. We really do appreciate it. It's an interesting point of view that she's got, to, to divide areas in places that would be perhaps big enough to do it, like the pubs said we can manage a smoking van. Maybe we can manage a vaccine pass system and if you can prove you're vaccinated you go to this part and if you can't then you go to that part wonder what you think 1850 eugene says i don't have a smartphone to be honest i don't want one so how am i going to get one get to work that well there'll probably be a paper or a card version eugene i would imagine there will because you know a lot of people who would be vaccinated would be the um, elderly cohort wouldn't be using smartphones, would have old blockies. So they'll get need to get a card of some kind in the post. So just what's interesting is to hear the publicans like Paul Montgomery even prepared to think about it because yesterday they were jumping up and down and, and they weren't 
even prepared to think about it. But if it changed, I think, overnight. Let's look at what uh, Leo Varadkar has been saying about this. There's a couple of clips from this interview that we have for you. It's an interview he gave to News Talk this morning. And the first thing he was been asked about was this corona pass or this vaccine pass. And, and his view is that it is a way to avoid further lockdowns. And also we can use those three weeks to uh, develop plans for a corona pass, um, which uh, let's not forget may pave the way for the reopening, not just of indoor hospitality, but indoor sports, live events, even if there is a delta wave. So, you know, that is one of the things that, that maybe isn't fully understood about the decision and the advice of yesterday. Um, essentially, option one is to not reopen indoors until we've heard immunity and who really knows when that will be. We'd hope September but maybe not. You know, maybe we'd have to vaccinate children. Maybe then we're heading into winter. Um, So, you know, maybe not even then. Or we now have this option of using a Corona Pass to open up indoor hospitality, indoor sport, indoor live events and do that even if there's a Delta wave never having, or potentially never having to lock down again. Now also I should remind you, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, you may or may not know this. Springsteen has gone back on Broadway. I think the show opens tonight or the next couple of days for the summer with his Broadway show, Springsteen on Broadway. Hey, you know, originality of the names, what have you. But you can only go to that show with proof of vaccination. It's in the booking terms and conditions. I saw it. You've got to be vaccinated to go to the Bruce Springsteen show on Broadway. This is going to be the reality for a little while if we're going to avoid more lockdowns. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Hear all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars, non-stop. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. Now we heard from Paul Montgomery his view on a system that and he said quite clearly if you can make it work then bring it on. That's what he said. If you can make it work bring it on. Other pubs they haven't said what they'll do but the Corner Flag Pub down in Turner's Cross there next to the stadium they put up on their Facebook page I actually no, I'll go to Tom first because he's been waiting for a few minutes I'll come back to that Facebook post from the corner flag Tom good morning Hi PJ how are you? Good you, you're, you're a, an angry man this morning I believe I am PJ like I'm filming now at this stage to be honest with you like my daughter is uh, supposed to make her confirmation next Monday above in Mayfield Church now we only got the date for it maybe a week or ten days ago because obviously with the situation it had been cancelled a couple of times previously and that's fine, that's all okay because that's the way things are. But what I can't understand is they're allowing weddings to go ahead for the month of July. Mm-hmm. Uh, a group of 50 people in a church. Uh-huh. So the school had given us very strict restrictions for this confirmation. Only the parents and the child, uh, one of the parents would have to sponsor the child there was no queuing for confirmation. They sat in their seats and got confirmed. There was no teachers. There was no one allowed outside the church, etc., etc. Which is fine because, you, you know, that's the way things are at the moment. But if you can allow 50 people in a church for a wedding, how in the name of God can you justify not allowing 10 or 15 kids with their parents in the same church 
it's even a smaller gathering. Yeah. It, it would know, seem like, that what's bothering the public health officials is not so much the, the church ceremony, and you're quite right, the churches now have a capacity of 50, some of the churches that define big church there in Mayfield, 50 people will be lost inside it. Yeah. But they're worried about the parties afterwards, they're worried about the bouncy castles, they're worried about the, you know... But even as it stands, PJ, you're allowed to have a small outdoor gathering. Like, again, in our, in our situation, it would be a media family, 95% of which I'd say at this stage are probably fully vaccinated anyway. And then go back to the wedding scenario, those 50 guests can go to a hotel room, to a, to a hotel function room, mm. where they're now in a closed and confined space, whereas I'm a smaller gathering in an outdoor space. Like, yeah. where's the logic to any of it? Yeah. I think the, 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 the hotels issue is, is bothering a lot of people, that hotels are open and can operate indoors and nobody else can. That is bothering a lot of people because a lot of people are, don't understand why that is. Of course it is. PJ, like, as I said to your producer there earlier, right, you think about this now. The Imperial Hotel on the South Mall. You go down the side street of the Imperial Hotel and they have those lovely glass windows into the restaurant and the hotel. Mm. So you walk down the street, you look in left, and there's people inside having their meal, having their drink, having a cup of coffee, whatever they're having, right? Which is great. Now you swing around and you look across the road. You look at Canties, you look at Coonahans. They're all shut down because no one's allowed in. Like, I just don't understand it. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there isn't a whole pile of science behind it. But except what they said was that hotels were always open for essential workers and they always fed essential guests. So you weren't really reintroducing anything that wasn't there. But what's this, what's essential about a wedding or what's essential about a group of people having a dinner? Like, it's just, it, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. I, I fully understand the science behind the thing is there and the disease is what it is. Right, that's fine. But you have to make logical decisions. You can't say to one group of people, 50 of you can go into the church for a wedding, but 50 of you can't go into the church for a communion or a confirmation. Mm. Like, as I said, we've had this cancelled a couple of times before, and people have gone to expense. Just, just a quick question there, Tom, yeah. about that. Have you been told officially now that the ceremony is off on Monday? No, because at the moment, no, we're waiting for the priest to come back to us from the church because as far as I know, he's waiting on official guidance from his bishop. Well, they so, have to go. Yeah, we've emailed or we've asked the Cork and Ross Dustin office for an official yeah. statement. They haven't come back to us yet. So clearly yeah. they're trying to find out what to do as well. Of course they are. Like, like, as, it, as it stands now today, the kids are supposed to have a practice run in the church, which is still going ahead as far as I know. But will it happen on Monday? Do you know? Like, we're just in limbo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can you can feel where people are. Thank you very much for that, Tom. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let's look at what another element of that interview with Leah Varadkar, where it was put to him that well, we're outliers. We are the only country in Europe now, of the as of the second of July, we will be the only country in Europe still without indoor dining and that we're seen as being perhaps a bit backward in the European picture. That was put to him this morning in the interview he gave 
to News Talk. The question is, are, are we right or wrong? So you remember back in October, November of last year, and I was very sceptical about doing this at the time. Uh, we were the first uh, country in Europe to go back into lockdown. Only Israel had done that at that stage. And um, it turned out to be the correct decision. Um, it, will, it will play out now over the next couple of weeks as to whether uh, we've been too conservative here or not. Um, what happens in, in England and Scotland will uh, tell us a lot. But bear in mind what the ECD is saying. You know, the European Centre Disease Control is saying what NEFIT is saying, that there is going to be a wave of Delta across Europe. Um, it is going to be serious. Um, and um, um, it might be the case uh, that other governments um, are acting too slowly. Uh, and aren't facing up to the reality of this really unwelcome reality of another variant um, that uh, could do as much harm to us as the last one. And, you know, everybody would, would like it to go away yeah. and not have to face up to it. Um, I hope we're wrong, by the way. I hope we're being uh, too cautious. I hope uh, yeah. Neffed's protections are too pessimistic. Mike McGrath said a, are, uh, apparently change. said a hand grenade had been let off by Neffed in Cabinet yesterday. Is that how you see it? Um, I, I didn't, didn't hear him say that, but um, you, you know, it was cer- certainly the modelling, certainly the um, those pessimistic scenarios um, came as came as came as a big surprise. You know, I, I don't think anyone anticipated, uh, including members of Neffet and, and the modelling group, such pessimistic scenarios being presented yeah. to us. That European Centre for Disease Control modelling system that Neffet is using. I got a chance this morning to read the letter that Tony Houlihan sent to Stephen Donnelly and the government. It's 17 or 18 pages and it's very technical language and there's an awful lot of maths and science in it. But they're modelling based on this European Centre for Disease Control. So they didn't make it up. What they've done is they put Irish figures into the European Centre for Disease Control and, and they've got a projection based on its modelling system. Now, we were also talking yesterday about Portugal because Portugal is... The worrying one. Because Portugal, remember when the Delta came into the UK, as John Campbell said on his YouTube, when the Delta came into the UK because the UK didn't shut down flights or force people into quarantine from India, when they came into the UK, the next thing that happened was UK opened up to Portugal to go on holidays. So people went to Portugal on their holidays. On the 8th of June, there was 296 people in hospital in Portugal with COVID and there was 66 in ICU. Yesterday, the 29th, there was 492 people in hospital with COVID in Portugal and 119 in their ICU. So... You can see the pattern emerging, and it's not a happy one. I will read that uh, Facebook post from the Corner Flag. I put it back um, just for a few minutes, and now I've got caught up in something else. But I will, I promise. They're not happy campers in the Corner Flag. I'll read it out for what it's worth. I want to see whether people agree with it or not. Just something else. Do you know... If you're saying, and some people are, if you're saying that you would boycott a pub that accepted a vaccine pass, are you really interested in the pub's opening at all? Just throwing that out there for what it's worth. Now, Lisa, you climbed Kiran Tool on Saturday. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Congratulations, first of all. Thanks very much. Well, why did you do it? Um, We did it for, um, it was a fundraiser for the Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery Team, PJ. 
Great um, people, great people. Yeah, fantastic people. Um, we had a fantastic time with them on Saturday for such a great cause. And um, they're outstanding men, really, for all the hard work that they do. Mm. Had you ever done anything like this before? Not a fundraiser for them, PJ, no. But I always knew, you know, it was always a cause that was close to my heart. Mm. No, I mean, had you ever climbed Caron Tool before? No, I never did Caron Tool before. It was my first time doing it, actually. Mm. What's it like? Yeah, it was, it was a great experience, being honest with you. It took us seven hours to do it. Um, with the lads I suppose within the seven hours we probably had a 20 minute break but we had to keep going they were determined that we'd keep going they were great really only for them we probably wouldn't have did it being honest Yeah. what's it like when you get up there? oh it's fabulous PJ it really was it was really worth it outstanding Mm. is it it hard to climb? very hard PJ I found it very hard my three friends the same the four of us now we did we really found it hard Mm. We walk a lot, but I've never climbed a mountain or anything like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you really admire their work, and you think they're being treated unfairly as well? Well, PJ, the thing about this is um, they actually have no adequate facilities, you know? They're, they have the premises that they have at the moment, it's only a shed, and um, they just need to secure a premises that they're in dire need of that they can put their stuff into, bring families that they need to talk to, that they've taken from the water. I mean, they meet these people, and I was actually shocked when one of the lads told me when they meet these people's families to talk to them, they actually do it on the side of the street. They have nowhere to bring them back for a cup of tea or anything like that. And um, I was shocked by that, actually, PJ, being honest. They have no premises. Um, they have a van. No. Don't they? I've seen a van going around. That's all they, they have. Yeah, that's all they have, PJ. They've no running water. They've nothing. Mm. Absolutely nothing. They've gone on to councillors, politicians, city council. None of them can help them secure a premises that they're in dire need of. So my reason for this this morning, PJ, was just to put it out there. If there's anybody listening, you know, this this cause is close to so many people and anybody that might be able to help them in any way, Mm -hmm. it would be very much appreciated. Okay. How much did yeah. you manage to raise in the fundraiser? Well, we raised 1,325. Well but, done. Um, we would have were out of work due to COVID at the moment, but if we were work, we all work in UCC, so we would have made a lot more if we were still at work. Yeah. But look, there's plenty more time, PJ, and there will be more time for us to be able to raise more money for them, you know? All right. Well, congratulations on doing it and, and much, bringing it to, to, to our attention because, yeah, th- they, these teams like this need all the recognition they can get. In fact, oh, we should... Rem- definitely. I, I'm not too sure, was it this group in particular, Lisa? It may yeah. have been. But one of these groups were testing new equipment in Crosshaven and it was during that test they latched on to what was left of the car belonging to Barry Collin. So, do you know? Um, yeah, um, PJ, yeah, Donna is actually a very good friend of mine, PJ. Donna right. Collin, a beautiful person herself, her mum and dad, amazing people. <clears throat> um, so, um, yeah, PJ, it was actually, it was these lads. They were, were testing equipment, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were testing equipment, yeah, and they came across Barry's car. Yeah. So yeah. I've been through a lot of that with Donna throughout the years. So How are they? But I haven't spoke. I, I spoke to the family years ago, but not in a very long time. How are they? Um, they're broken, PJ, obviously enough, you know. Donna had held on to hope for 17 years. 
yeah. Mary and Jim the same. So you can imagine after 17 years, still they have closure. These lads brought Barry home, you know, yeah. and it's just coming to terms with the factor of that now, I suppose. And time might help, hopefully. Yeah. But Donna at the moment isn't great. Okay, well, imagine. please, please convey my, my eternal sympathies to them. Yeah, and can I say, actually, what I'm on as well, PJ, that Donna asked me when I was on air that she wants to thank them from the bottom of her heart, all the lads that were involved in that search for Barry Colin, David Varian, Chris O'Donovan. They were a couple of the lads I know that were there that day. Okay. Well, um, Donna just wishes to thank them all from the bottom of her heart and from her mum and dad as well. All right, and happy to facilitate that as well. Lisa, thank you very much. Climbed Kiran Tool at the weekend in aid of the Cork City search and recovery team. It was that team testing new equipment in Crosshaven a few weeks ago that made the discovery that led to closure for the family of Barry Collin. That is how important these teams are. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. The whole vaccine pass, corona pass debate will rattle on until we find out what, if anything, can be done about it. They're doing it in Denmark, but they also in Denmark do antigen testing and they also do PCR testing in Denmark. We don't do antigen testing here. Neffet's advice is that antigen testing is untrustworthy. Some people agree with that. Some people do not agree with that. That's, that's as it may be. But the vaccine pass idea that they put on the table yesterday... Government has said, right, we'll take a look at it. We'll see how we might be able to do it. We'll look at the legalities. We'll look at the practicalities. Already this morning on the opinion line, we've heard Paul Montgomery from Clancy's say, if there's a way to do it, bring it on. Because otherwise, we're going to be, we don't want to be locked down again. We don't want to be closed down again. And if for now it's the only way we can have people inside the pub, what of it? Let's find a practical way to do it and go and do it. And I would hasten to suggest, and that's all I'm doing, is hastening to suggest that when most people sit back, draw breath, and relax a small bit, they will realise, well, actually, do you know, what's the problem here? If it's the only way for now to get inside, then it's the only way for now to get inside. Although... I would still like to see the young people serving you in the pub, I would like to see them vaccinated. Now, there are those who say if all the customers are vaccinated, then what of it? You know, they're unlikely to pick it up. But just to show them a bit of respect, let's get all them vaccinated ASAP as well. So, two things to take into consideration. We'll come back to it because this is a live one and it's not going to go anywhere. 1850-715-996. Interested always to hear about strange medical conditions 
on this program. And by strange, I mean things that the rest of us would never hear about because they're never going to come into our lives. Or at least they haven't yet. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a disease called PKU, phenylketonuria. Now, I did hear of this years ago because I knew someone who knew someone who had relations that had died of it at a time when lots of people did. But Hazel Lamb, your daughter Lola has it. It is, if I'm correct in this, it's an inability for the body to process protein. Isn't that right? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, Basically, the liver will break down um, protein, naturally occurring protein, but there is an amino acid called phenylalanilin in all naturally occurring protein, which a person with PKU cannot metabolise. So basically, in a very short way of putting it, it will eventually cause brain damage, um, slow development, and before... They actually were treating this with diet. As you said, many people ended up in mental institutions, just left there basically to die because they just had no way of treating them. So it's, it's it was very, very sad. But we are very, very lucky at the moment in Ireland. We have a just fantastic care for kids mm. and adults with PKU. There's a remarkable new drug, which I'll talk about in a sec. But, but when Lola was born, how was it discovered that she had it? Um, well, when she was born, you know, they get the heel test at the three days old. Yeah. So she had that. I already have two boys, Jamie and Dylan. Nothing with them. Nothing ever came back from the heel test. If I'm honest, I didn't even realise what they were checking for in the heel test. So, you know, we went into a completely blase. Nothing is ever discovered in scans. Nothing like that. Um, she, We were sitting at home. We were ready to go to the cinema with the boys. I was sending her out to my mum. And basically the maternity hospital rang and said, oh, um, you need to come up, something's been found with the heel test. So I just presumed it was um, the COMH, like we're in Cove, maybe 20, 25 minutes. I said, okay, we'll be up there. And she said, no, you need to go to Temple Street. And I think after that, I just dropped the phone, yeah, gave it yeah. to my husband, Ellen, and just the shock, the fear, you mm. know, it, it, it just, it, it's so unheard of. I, I had never heard of it. Yeah. Um. Like yourself, as you say, it's really only if you know somebody, you know, who knows somebody, that it, it it's just so, so rare, even in, in Cork, there may be two or three I, I just know someone who found it, they're a genealogist, and they were doing a family tree, yeah. and they found people in it who had died yeah. of this, this strange condition. Now, in a small child uh, whose body cannot handle protein, in very simple terms, Hazel, how does that affect life? Well, when she was born, um, obviously they have to check like their levels. She is what, what they call classic PKU. So she was always very severe. It didn't you know, it doesn't manifest physically unless they're not on diet. So she, but the, the hardest thing for us was we were kind of told from day dot she wouldn't ever have a big tolerance. Some of them will have higher tolerances. Lola only ever had four grams a day. I think once when she had a growth spurt she may have gone up to five. Now just to put it in context PJ, an egg is seven grams of protein. So basically we had four naturally occurring grams of protein per day to feed her. You know, they ask you to space them out because it's the best for the body to metabolize it. So basically, since she's been very, very small, most of her food has come in from the chemist. You know, like I suppose what a celiac would have had years ago coming in from the chemist, she would have... Um, because most people think of protein, you think you meet, you know, you think of your meat, your fish, your eggs. But I, I, and I would have been exactly the same. 
until we had low and until we actually were shown the diet, there is protein in absolutely everything. Small amounts for people like us, mm. but for somebody with PKU, you know, bread or the bread that we eat, pasta, absolutely mm. everything. So she can literally only eat, for example, for one gram of protein, is six kind of skinny type chips. So, you know, that, that doesn't feed, like, it doesn't feed a small child, but it certainly wouldn't feed mm. them, you know, when they get to adulthood or teenage, you know, it's... Because we're always told, you know, part of good nutrition is get your protein into you. Exactly. And it's so hard to fill anybody without protein. Now, the other side is they have um, synthetic protein drinks, which he would have had from birth. It would have been like, you know, like an SMA type formula when they're very small. Mm. Then there were huge um, improvements in them after being made. So, But they do have them. It's to replace, you know, our portion of protein that we would have. But still sitting down to eat, it is very, very difficult. You know, you can never, it, it, it's like always having a baby in terms of not not the way the child is, but what you need to bring with you. You know, when you have a very small child, you have your baby bag, you know, you might have your food because they can eat this, that or the other. Mm-hmm. We always, always have to be prepared. We could never have done anything on spec with Lola because we just, there is nowhere to buy anything. You know, the way with the celiac diet, you can walk in and buy gluten-free, which is fantastic. Because PKU was so rare, there would obviously be no market for it. So if we were caught out anywhere, you're trying to literally fill her on fruit and veg, which it's not, you know, it it doesn't fill you. That's that's the reality of it. This morning, when I knew I'd be talking to Hazel, I was going through my own breakfast and I love to have a couple of boiled eggs in the morning. Yeah, yeah. That's a luxury that she can never have. It's a fine nutritional food product that she could never have. My God. It's, yeah, do you know what, actually, Pete? It's the one thing I remember when she was very small and I remember saying it to my own mother, I would love if she could have an egg. It would be the meat, the fish, you know, I would have got over that, but I thought if she could have an egg. But the funny thing is, since she's been on the new drug, she's actually had a boiled egg and a fried egg and her first experience of a boiled egg, she absolutely loved it. But she really was so stuffed after it. She's hearing over to me and she's laughing, but she really, she nearly, I'd say, had to sit down. She was so stuffed. And it's literally because she's never had that much protein in one sitting. And I'll talk to her in a second, but tell me about the drug. What's it called and what does it do? So the drug is made by Biomarin, which coincidentally they're in Ring of Skiddy. And uh, it's called Kuvan. And it basically increases their tolerance so that they can have pretty much, you know, a normal life if if they respond to it, which it is an if. And I'm not very well up on, you know, all the gene side of it, but their genes do need to be responsive. And we were very, very lucky because Lola, even though she is plastic and even though she only ever tolerated four grams herself, when she got the trial of the drug, she responded and she is now on 17 grams a day, which is just unreal for us. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely... That's four times as much. Four times, four times as much. And she's still, you know, she's only started this in February. So they're still playing around with the dosage of her drug. It may go up a little bit. It may never go up anymore. If it doesn't, it, it just makes no difference. That we're so nice. delighted, you know. It's just, it's changed everything for her. Can I talk to her? You can, of course, no problem. Okay. Hi. Hi, Lola. How are you? I'm good. Good. This new drug is a real help, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 
Tell me about your first boiled egg. Did you really enjoy that? Yeah, I had it with bread as well. So, Oh, that was a big treat. Yeah. <laughs> it must be hard for you, though, like going to parties and going out to cinema and things that you normally do as an 11-year-old. Can you have chocolate? Yes, I can. But oh, you only can. A small bit. Only a small bit. Right, right. Can you have popcorn at the cinema? Um, yeah. Okay. So it's a lot better with this with this medicine, isn't it? Yeah, much better. Good. Good. It's great. It's great to to be able to take it and and live it along. So if you go to a party now, can can you have anything you want or do you still have to watch it? We have to watch it and count everything. You have to count it. And do you know are you learning how to count it yourself then? Every time that my mum like weighs it out, I take notes on it just see when I'm out. Right. Right. So if if you were out and someone offered you a cake, say a cupcake, a cupcake, I would I would say no. Yes, just because I wouldn't know how much is in it. I see. I see, and you have no way to know. You're you're a great girl, and thanks very much, Lola. Put me back on there to your mum. Thanks, PJ. She's, she's got a great maturity already in in she dealing really with does. this. Yeah. yeah, like she from the time she's very very small. No, she is a fantastic child she is really really good she's confident and she just had to learn you have to make them very very aware of what they're eating of like she can read the back of a packet you know the nutritional value but obviously if it's something per unit yeah she'll know straight away I can't have that or I can't have it if it's per 100 grams it's difficult for her she's only 11 you know mm. but she is like it's never held her back you know and that's I suppose people who know us listening to this will probably be shocked because she is the the most sunny child. She's she's she, you'd never think that she had anything wrong with her. But I think why we wanted to do this is we want to get across how difficult life is for everybody with PKU. Mm. And you know, about how many are out there? Do you know? There are I think about eight hundred in the whole country. I know right. there's a few in Cork, not not huge amount, but well, um, do you know what this program goes out all over Cork exactly. and all over the all over the world really in a way but Chrissy was on to say I'm thrilled for Lola my brother has PKU there wasn't so much as a recipe book in 1973 when he was born as a baby he lived on carrot or cucumber soup in his bottle oh my god it's so sad you know when like I remember when she was born and we went to they had like the PKU day she was only about two or three months old like we just went along just to see it it was out in Chucky's in um out by Wilton and they were all little kids playing you know they had different metabolic diseases because there weren't enough kids with PKU but I was talking to a lady and at the time she had two teenage boys and she said even in the space of time which so they're probably about you know 10, 12 years older than Lola now so the space of time that Lola was born the changes even for that she could see from when her own children were born so they are making huge you know, progress with it, but the drug is definitely, it, it's changed everything. Coovan, it's Coovan. And made by a company here in Cork. By Omarin, yeah. Isn't that brilliant? It's amazing, it's That's absolutely brilliant. amazing. All right, yeah. Hazel. Lovely talking to you and lovely talking to Lola. Thank you very much. That's Hazel Lamb on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. PKU, phenylketonuria. A nasty thing, but treated very effectively treated with a drug made here in Cork. Ketching.
That's good for us. 1857 Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. We've got the soundtrack to your Wednesday afternoon completely sorted, plus your chance to bag yourself a brand new smart speaker. And if you want a new iPad, then make sure you're listening from 12 on Cork's 96FM. No, just a thought about this vaccine pass or corona pass or call it what you will, and we'll see how it develops or how it doesn't over the next couple of weeks but I'm reminded that at the very start of this when we were told to wear face coverings or masks in shops or on buses or on trains or wherever there are now there are a small number of them there's a lot of chancers out there that pretend that they can't wear them but there are a small number of people who genuinely cannot wear a mask a lot of them would be uh, people on the autistic spectrum who simply cannot. It's a sensory nightmare for them to try to wear a mask. And there was a thing mooted by HSE or a branch of HSE that they would produce some kind of a mask pass which would work a little along the lines of the jam card. You know the jam card that we've talked about? They're still waiting for that. And you can't get a letter from your GP or it's very hard to get a letter from your GP for some strange reason to show that you genuinely have a, an issue that prevents you from wearing a mask. These are very few people, but they're out there. There's a lot of chancers making videos on trains and making fools of themselves, but there are a lot of genuine people too. If you go into the new Lidl in Douglas, and I think this is a, or the new Aldi rather in Douglas, and this is brilliant, I saw it the other night. Aldi now have this poster up when you go in just inside their door. And it reads, to protect our staff and each other, it's now mandatory to wear a face covering. Please respect those who are exempt. Thank you for your continued support. But Mask Pass was supposed to be generated to allow people to walk around unhindered if they were genuinely unable. That has not uh, uh, come. That has not come to pass. (laughs) The Mask Pass has not come to pass. They've been faffing around with it for over 12 months now, which doesn't build a whole lot of confidence for how they'll work with a vaccine pass. But look, that's that's just a by the by. The corner flag in Turner's Cross put up a Facebook post uh, yesterday. And they're just going to read it and leave it with you for what it's worth. Because I want to talk about weddings. They are going ahead smaller, up to 50 people. But apparently, there's a trend out there now that the smaller wedding might be the wedding of the future because you know what what's the point of spending half a year's wages on a wedding just just have a modest little wedding anyway this is the message put on Facebook by the corner flag a very disappointing announcement from the government today we now have to renew all our review all our bookings stock orders staffing and opening times for July and probably August last summer they made people buy a nine euro meal to get a pint. This year, they're making you book a hotel to get a pint indoors. The government is ruled by Neffet, who hate pubs anyway. A farce of a government, and it's about time all publicans and everyone in hospitality stood up and said enough is enough. They'll never let us open indoors, no matter what we do. 
They kick the can down the road every month. Vaccinations, as we know, are working, but they will always find an excuse to keep us closed indoors. It's discrimination against our industry, plain and simple. Governments are elected to lead, not to destroy livelihoods and economies. It's about time they remembered this as they take home their huge salaries each month with not a care in the world. We ask all our customers to bear with us as we try to find ways to deal with another huge setback and kick in the teeth in our industry. We'll try to honour all bookings made as best we can. Thanks for your patience so far. Now compare that to the simple logic of Paul Montgomery this morning who said, look, if we have to do it to stay open, we'll do it. Bring it on, make it work. But look, it's, it's, it's another view from within the industry. I suppose each publican is suffering in their own way and trying to deal with it in their own way. That, that's true. That is, that is true. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. 1850 But simpler weddings may be something that emerges from this pandemic. People will say, well, actually, what is the point of having 200 people going into debt instead of just having a nice small little wedding of people we really want to be there, not the people who changed a nappy once when we were three months old and now mother feels they are entitled to be at the wedding because that crap still does go on. Why not have a wedding that we want on our terms? And they may just become very fashionable. Barbara Ryan, irishceremony.ie wedding planner. Barbara, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I think a lot of people are liking this small wedding plan. Yeah, I mean, what I have noticed in the last 18 months, so I would have had a busy, like everyone else, a busy booked up uh, summer in 2020 into the autumn, um, and that all changed, obviously. So a lot of people have, they, you know, might have moved their wedding out a month and then moved it out another six months and then moved it out another 12 months, and, and they could be on maybe their fourth or fifth reschedule and they've been sitting on 20,000, 30,000 for the last year and a half sitting in a house that maybe needs a renovation or possibly have been also saving for a mortgage and have realised they have this big bulk of money that they, and they want to have a wedding ceremony and they want to stand in front of their family and friends and, and be witnessed and, and all of that but they're kind of thinking you know I can't get an exact answer on when this is all going to end so perhaps there are alternative ways of marking the day in a way that's really meaningful to us, but that we can also benefit from the savings that we have. Or, you know, a lot of people haven't, you know, it's a very, people have a lot of plans, you know, one after the other. Maybe they want to get married, then possibly they want to start a family. But because time has passed, they've moved on with things. So maybe they have a child now and, you know, priorities have changed and it's, that's the trend that I'm seeing now is, is, is obviously we have to have smaller guest numbers, but even just pairing back the whole thing uh, yeah. seems to be a trend coming out. I was at one wedding uh, during the course of this last uh, 15 months, and it was when the numbers involved were 50. Yeah. And this was a couple who would have had a huge wedding uh, because everybody knows knows them. But they limited to 50. I was privileged to be invited. And it was a lovely, lovely day. Yeah, I think when the numbers are smaller, it is possible to really focus on why you're there. It's not about the quick glass of Prosecco that you get straight after the ceremony or... 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, what's going to ha- what, you know, meal you're going to have or the photographer or all this the bouquet, everything that just kind of gets inflated, it, it really simmers down to the couple. And I think couples are generally together a lot longer now before they get married. So they have a history and the people who are at the wedding um, are are so happy to see them get married and they want to, to connect with that and really feel their story for the day. And that seems to be more achievable when it's intimate and and every mm. you know everyone around you and there like you said there isn't the aunt that you necessarily haven't spoken to for whatever amount of time but the politics dictates that they have to be invited that you can have the people who are really precious to you in your life and mm. your kids life and your partner's life and and they're present and really invested in the day and it just makes for such a special experience no to be fair the modern accoutrements like a phone booth or a lit up dance floor or the candy cart or the fish and chip stall which I saw come into a few weddings. They're all great fun and a big crowd, a big party crowd dancing away at half. It's it's great fun but how do you make it as meaningful without that or can you do it? I think the really fantastic thing for couples now, and I know there are so many exhausted, engaged couples that have had to reschedule and reschedule and just, they're just sort of saying, do you know what, I actually don't even think we should even bother. Let's just not do anything. I think the amazing thing that they need to remember is that you have choice. You could have a small ceremony with the people that you want to be there and you could have a party also. It doesn't even need to be in the same day. It could be, you know, if you wanted to wait for numbers to lift, you could have a back garden party with a bouncing, uh, you know, castle for kids or whatever, or you can have it all in the one day. But the, the reality is that there is so much more choice than... And the big hotel weddings are brilliant and there's so much crack. And, you know, we will get back to that. And there, that I think, as well as the trend of having smaller weddings, the trend of having bigger weddings will definitely come back. Do you think you will, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think there will always be a market for everything. But the, the great thing is that there's just choice for people. And if you are feeling totally burnt out by this the last 18 months... Maybe just have a think about what is it that you're that you want to achieve? Is this, you know, do you want to have a ceremony that is unique? 
to you and your partner and have the people that you love there to witness it. And then the party side of things can come, can happen, you know, either at a different stage or it can be just a smaller party. And you can have, I know, um, like you can rent, say, the ice cream vans to come out. You know, that can happen in your back garden. That doesn't have to happen with 200 people. You can you can still have those, you know, a Polaroid camera and, you know, a packet of face masks from, you know, a two euro shop and, and do these things. But you can do them cheaper. You can you can do really whatever you like. You just have to have the imagination and, and the drive to do it. There's been a lot of learning from the industry and I suppose from clients over the last 12 to 15 months. Thanks very much for that. That's Barbara Ryan from irishceremony.ie to the wedding planner. The smaller wedding is fashionable right now, which I suppose for the foreseeable future is no harm because the smaller wedding is what we're going to have. 50 now, I think, for July. The plan was 100 for August. Can't see that happening. But 50 for July. I was at a wedding last October, um, Gareth and Paul's, Paula's wedding, uh, in up around the corner was here with 50 people at it. It was lovely, just lovely. And there's more intimacy with your guests because you can get around and talk to them all. If you've 300 people there at the afters, you're not going to have a hope of talking to everybody or meeting everybody, can you? Really? Not a, not a prayer. 1850 996 Declan says, Hi PJ, my wife and I are both fully vaccinated, but we have three kids, all under 13. So we as a family will not be allowed to dine indoors, even when both adults are fully vaccinated. So it's not just the 18 to 30s who will be discriminated against. Well, Declan, that's how it looks on the face of it. There may be some way to compromise that. If you look at it, the way we can have a group of six or a group of eight, a certain amount of kids come with that and they don't count the kids so you know let's not make that decision today that it'll be discrimination against the small children because we just don't know until they put something together 1850 can we just talk the opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leeside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Cork singer-songwriter Fiona Kennedy plays in the Middleton Gig Factory with her band on Saturday, July 3rd. Although the gig will take place live on stage, it'll be a live stream show available to watch on the My Place Middleton Facebook page. Access all areas. Hermitage Green have announced a long-awaited return to Cork for a show taking place at the Opera House on Thursday, October 21st. The band have also announced a new album set for a September release with tickets available now from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. We're bringing all your favourite festival stars to your back garden. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. I'm not sure how many people saw this coming. In they certainly <laughs> they saw they didn't see the Delta wave coming, or they didn't see the vaccine passport coming, or they didn't see this. Did anybody see the 
surge in house prices coming because they are flying up. There's been a jump in prices for the second half of the year, countrywide for especially Cork. Cork prices are currently up 14% house prices because there's not enough supply out there. Joanna Murphy's an auctioneer in Cove. Joanna Murphy, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Lovely to Thank chat with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Delighted. Lovely to chat with you again. You say if if you gave you three, no, ten, ten three-bedroom three, yeah. semis in the morning, it'd be gone by Friday. Absolutely. Wow. The demand is, yeah, it's really high, and it's especially amongst the young, because I suppose when you think of it, the average rent is €1,200 a month. The average mortgage repayment is probably 800 So it makes sense. And I think through the pandemic, they had a chance to save. And I also think the banks and the government are playing their part to facilitate the fact that the young can buy. So the first time buyers, the market is very, very strong. The huge figure of mortgages approved, I read that in the paper in the last couple of days, that's gone way up. And I think you're worried the property isn't there to service that need. No, I mean, economics play. If the supply isn't there, the demand in, and the demand increases, the prices go up. So I do feel, obviously, that needs to be tackled, which it will be. I mean, obviously, there's more properties coming on the market as the months are going on, and we're getting out of this pandemic. But we have a long way to kind of reach the goal. And the very fact that Cork City property prices, you can see, as I said to you, 14%, that's huge, which means now there's a shift in people moving to the likes of Cork or coastal towns like Cove, Kerry, West Cork, Kinsale, because they can, whereas mm. before they couldn't. And because the idea that, you know, the future may involve hybrid working, wouldn't it be lovely to be working from home, looking out at the water from Cove? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I do feel that um, National Broadband, the fact that they're obviously um, engaging with different towns now to get them up and running, that's playing a huge part. I do feel that the rail service transport system is very good now, the public system, which people can avail of. And people, when they move to towns and villages, want to know that they can, you know, they can avail of that. Mm. Where do you see it going over the next few months? Like I said, as the pandemic comes to an end, which hopefully it will, maybe early next year, where do you see it going? Okay, so I do think that the three-bedroom semis are going to go up in value. The boom time price, I'm going to give Coke because obviously that's what I'm familiar with. 320 was, was the boom time price mm. for a three-bedroom semi. At the moment, they're up to probably 250, 260. Now, that's the second-hand market. I do see that going up. I do feel that it's going to reach into the late 200s. Mm. Then you're going to find that there will be new estates coming in. There will be new houses coming in. But not everybody wants to live in a new estate. They want to live in a more established estate a smaller estate. Everyone has different needs. And, you know, my mum always said this really good saying, for every shoe, uh, for every shoe there is a foot. And it's true. And I think that you need to have the variety there for the buyer, not mm. just the first-time buyer. Because, yeah, new estates are great. But if you don't want, if your kids are raised or partially raised, you don't want to be surrounded by a clatter of smallies every day. You, you mm. don't want to move into a new estate that, that's got loads of them, do you? No, you don't. And you see, that's why every state, it's great that there's a variety there. So you'll have the person who's downsizing from a big house, they want to go to a three-bedroom semi or a two-bedroom terraced house. They don't want the kids outside. But then you have families, obviously, that do. So that's why it's important to have a variety there of different types of estates. 
and also this, probably the more established estates are older, you know, their older estates are smaller estates. Like, for example, I have a three-bedroom bungalow, really poor condition, on for 230 flew out the door because you have the retirees who want to go into a small estate like that. Mm. You've also got people, well, some people, who have been saving during this pandemic. Yeah. And, have, and did I read a figure of there could be a few billion set aside in savings that people yeah. will buy older houses and do them up and modernise them. So that's going to be a growing market too. Well, the older period properties, be a Cove, Monkstown, I suppose Cork City, they do sell and they seem to hold their own. But people aren't, you know, they're not being foolish anymore. They'll pay a certain amount of money for them, knowing what money has to go into them. And some of them are in pristine condition and then they fetch huge money. You have such a variety price range. Like you have a Kinsale property, for example, I don't know if you saw it, the one I was selling for $5 million. You know, you'll get a buyer for that because it's a different market. Then you could have a house in Monkstown, period house for $800. you are going to get a buyer for that. Cove could be six. Cork could be a million. So it just, the buyers are there and there's a variety of them. And as I did say to you, there's a lot of people relocating to Cork, be it from the UK, up the country, the States. They mm. want to acquire property down here because they're afraid if they don't now, mm. will they be able to in the future? That sums it up very well, though, isn't it? The prices are going up because the buyers are there. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think Ireland has got a huge draw and especially um, the coastal part of Ireland. As you said, what better place if you're living in a property and you can work from home and look at the sea? Yeah. I mean, that just sums it up. And I think, yeah, and I think that the whole idea that it will be hybrid working, that people will go into the office two or three days a week and the remainder will be at home. All right, listen, leave it there for today. Thank you very much. Johnny Murphy, uh, auctioneer in Cove. The property is booming. Booming. 1850-715-996. Five million for placing Kinsale. I love Kinsale. I love Kinsale. But five million? Lads. Stop the clocks, it's amazing. You should see the way the light dances up your head. A million colors of hazel, golden and red. Saturday morning is fading. The sun's reflected by the coffee in your hand. My eyes are caught in your gaze all over again. So we-
Ed Sheeran Afterglow on Cork's 96FM 1857-15996. Did you know, I didn't know this, we'll find out more about it in a few minutes. Did you know that Coachford, yeah, Coachford is a huge area for fishing tourism? I didn't know that, but it is. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going too well for them the last couple of summers, as you'd imagine, because a lot of foreign ag- anglers come to Coachford in the summertime, and they spend a lot of money during, say, a week in the place, and it benefits the pubs and the restaurants and the hotels and the B&Bs and the taxis and everything. So they're they're concerned about it this summer. We'll get back to that, but also, as something I didn't know, did you know that angling or fishing has become very important, or very popular, increasingly popular, among women? And that's something I wouldn't have thought. Glenda Powell, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you doing? Not that I'm saying women, w- women don't fish, but I would have always thought it was far more popular among the menfolk that they would head off on Christmas morning with the fishing tackle for the day. Well, it, it is true. I mean, for many, many years, it has been very much a male-dominated sport. Um, but I've been teaching fly fishing and game angling for the last 28 years. And as a young woman in the sport, many, many years ago, I suppose I was quite unusual. But in saying that, I mean, it's fantastic to see more women getting involved. And I think they begin to realise how wonderful it is to be out in nature, on the river or on the lake, and just to get away from everyday life. So I think women are seeing the benefits of the freedom of getting out and about and enjoying it. Yeah, because it is the ultimate nature lover's sport, isn't it? Well, we see so much when we're on the river. And, you know, I tell people that, going fishing gives us a chance to stand still long enough to experience the beauty around us. Women, you know, like myself, certainly if I'm going for a walk, it's usually some sort of power walk to try and lose weight or you're looking after your family or, you're, you know, and I think fishing just makes you stop and it's wonderful. It's time alone, isn't it, really? It's a very solitary sport. It is. And, um, and that is wonderful too because even when you do go fishing with someone, you can choose when you stop and talk to them or, or meet them for have a, having a cup of coffee. But the rest of the time, you really are in your own head. And to have that headspace and just to be at one with nature is, mm. is such a beautiful thing. And, of course, fishing gives us the opportunity to do this. Yeah, solitude. A lot of women, I can imagine, with a few children and a busy life Monday to Friday, the solitude of sitting by a river or by a lake for a couple of hours on a sunny Saturday morning, uh, there's nothing to beat it, I'd say. Yes, and of course women have changed as well how they work and a lot of women are are very, very busy. I mean, we always have been, but, you know, it's now we're trying to to run a job and possibly run a family and there's lots of pressure on women today and to be able to get out and to be able to sit, as you say, and go, you know, for a walk along the riverbank and even if they don't fish, just to be there and to watch the otters or the keen fishers and we have so much wildlife and the egrets on the the rivers. It's just a beautiful, beautiful Mm. place to be. time of the year, sit quietly by the riverside and you'll see loads and you'll see different every day and you see different at different times a day and it's fantastic. Stay there for me, Glenda. Where, where, by the way, can women learn to fish? Or do you just go buy a fishing rod and try it yourself? 
No, well, I'm, um, I would be the chairperson of an association called Abguy Ireland. And Abguy Ireland is an association of trained uh, instructors. So um, you can find that, of course, online if you type in Abguy Ireland, A-P-G-A-I Ireland. Mm-hmm. And there's a list of instructors there um, that will help you. And it's usually the best way to get started because at least mm-hmm. then... The like, is it expensive to, to get started? No, it's not. No, like every sport, you can make this as expensive as you want. Um, you can go and buy, you know, an inexpensive rod, reel and line to get you going and, and will last you for a number of years. And I tell people that, you know, unless you are, you know, a very good angler, you're not going to tell the difference between something of a reasonable cost and something that is very, very expensive. Yeah. Um, lessons per hour then, you know, range somewhere between about 25 euro and 50 euro per hour. And um, and then, you know, all you need is a few tips on how to get the casting going. And then, you see, women, what I have learned, they're very special in the sense where they don't want to be a burden on anyone. So if they know how to put everything together, the rod, the reel and the line, they know how to cast and they can get themselves out of tangles, then they're much happier. So that is really what women are looking for, is to be a little bit self-sufficient on the bank of the river. Okay. All right. Glenda, thank you very much, Glenda Powell. Let's bring in now Rob Allen from Coachford, because I wouldn't have known, Rob, that Coachford was a fishing hotspot. Educate me, sir, please. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Um, yeah, that's something that's developed over the years, really. Course fishing started to uh, to really take off in the 90s, and it's developed from there. Um, we're in the middle here of, uh, of a, a huge resource, really, the um, the two reservoirs on the the, the River Lee, the Lee Scheme, amount to three and a half thousand acres of water. And there's over eighty kilometres of shoreline there. So for a long time <laughs> that remained undeveloped. Um, access to the shore wasn't very good. So from the mid nineties, it developed on. Um, I think then the impetus came again. We got a couple of uh, world championships. Uh, one in twenty fourteen. Uh, it was the World Feeder Championship, and in 2017 we had the World Youth Championships, mm. and I think that's that's spread the gospel, if you like, of, of Coachford as a centre. I mean, we are in the dead centre of those reservoirs. Yeah, um, we have developed our, our greenway there that people may know for other reasons. You, you know, you were talking about nice walks along the river. I think you couldn't find too much nicer than the greenway we have here. Yes. Um, nearly three kilometres of a nice yeah. flat. So, so obviously the, the local economy then is struggling with the effects of the pandemic on the fishing. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was a, an article in the Examiner there on Monday that I think set out the situation very well. We've, uh, we, we generally have an income here of about a half a million a year from foreign anglers. And, you know, that's disappeared for the last two years. And in a village of 400 people, that's obviously very important. Yeah. And if you look, you know, if you look around the country, rural villages are really struggling at the moment for lots of reasons. And losing post offices, losing pubs, shops, banks, garages. Mm. And, you know, the, the angling has really helped sustain our businesses. Um, it's a really good, steady income. We have a lot of repeat business. Um, the season runs. Our first festival is you know, St. Patrick's Weekend, our last one is in October, so that's a nine-month season where we have a steady flow of... Right. And is that gone for this year now? Is that bunched? Oh, it is. It is. Uh, there, there's hope that we may start in September and maybe get our biggest festival through in October. 
but we've had to like through last year we, we I suppose we cancelled already we saw the way the wind was blowing and this year we've been kind of cancelling on a rolling basis we mm. we actually have to stay ahead of the government on this because like these foreign anglers um, they come from uh, I suppose mostly Britain and Holland and they're booking ferries they're booking accommodation yes. they're doing all that they're laying down deposits and if you leave it one to the last minute and have to cancel, they're going to lose all that money. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to be well ahead, well ahead of the pack there, unfortunately. Here's hoping that it gets back going again uh, before the end of the year. Interesting to know. Yeah, of course I should have known. So close to the Inniscarra Dam would certainly make Coachford good fishing territory. Thanks, Rob Allen, and thanks, Glenda Powell. The organisation is Apgai Ireland, A-P-G-A-I. Ireland. If you want to find out more, I'm assuming they are on Facebook, 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I think last evening had to be one of the most gorgeous evenings in many a long June, let alone many a long year. You just beautiful. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous evening. I sat out reading a book until God, after ten, out the back. Came in then and I watched the last episode of the preview copy that I have of the Netflix documentary Sophie, a murder in West Cork and it's dropping today. I think it dropped this morning on Netflix. It's a binge watch. You will watch it in one go. It is very good. The general consensus in Coogan Towers is that it's actually even better than Murder at the Cottage. I hear Ian Bailey in the news there. That interview is in it. There are various clips of him spliced in at various parts of the three hours. It's in there. It's well, well worth a watch. It's a fantastic piece of documentary making, regardless of where you stand on the case. And of course, we should remind ourselves constantly that Ian Bailey has always protested his innocence uh, with regard to the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. 1850 Hoping to speak with the producers of that documentary actually at some point later in the week. If you have hay fever and looking out at it now, and I'm not a person who suffers from bad hay fever, I do get the odd bout of it. Um, it should be coming to the end of my hay fever season now, but you do get the odd bout of it from time to time. But some people are literally crippled with it for the whole summer and end up dreading summer as a result. I would hate to be in that kind of a position because I absolutely love my summer. But we'll come to that in just a moment. Wanted to read a couple of messages that I'm holding over for the last while. Anne was on about travel. And Anne makes this point. The new travel policy will allow people to travel abroad without a vaccine if they do the test. What then happens if they catch COVID abroad? If enough people do that and it becomes rampant on mainland Europe, isn't that going to overwhelm our hospitals back here at home? I think the elephant in the room is they're worried about the future supplies of the vaccine. They're worried about second doses. 
this vaccination programme has left many of the most vulnerable in society unprotected still. Now they've made it four weeks, this is an AstraZeneca, which seems to be an outlier. Who knows what will happen? We need to know what stocks of vaccine are in the country. They need to be allocated to second doses for the most vulnerable first. We then need to take a position on the future supplies of the vaccines, which I know can change, and adjust the policy in order to ensure the most vulnerable are vaccinated. That's why Britain is so confident, and we are not. But certainly, we've left an awful lot of vulnerable people without their second dose, and that was a cock-up of the highest order. Absolutely it is. And now people like Liam Fanning are saying, look, for someone who's had a first dose of AstraZeneca, let's do this heteronalogous vaccination. Give them the second dose of Pfizer. With 300 and something doses of Pfizer coming in to the country today, it's one of the biggest deliveries we've ever had. And we have more coming in every month. It's the EU has done the buying we just get our allocation based on population. But on the subject of vaccines, and I'm just putting this out there, and I'd like to know what you think. Kieran says, what? What? Show a security guard a letter from your doctor about your health issues. That is invasion of privacy. I'm elderly and fully vaccinated. Get off the fence, say it like it is. Enough is enough. Open the pubs so I can, and young people can, have a point and a chat. A chat. That's their from Kiran, if anybody would like to respond to that. 1850-715-996. Now, Sarah O'Connor is CEO of the Asthma Society of Ireland. A lot of people in trouble in weather like this, Sarah. I'd hate to be them, uh, but it's tough. Good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to all of your listeners. Hay fever, if it's bad, I get it mild enough and generally taking a tablet in the morning sorts me out, but some people suffer terribly. They do, they do, and I suppose um, uh, the the real uh, challenge for people uh, with asthma, for example, um, is that 80% of people who have asthma also have um, hay fever um, uh, allergies. And what it can do is, I mean, first of all, I suppose the experience of hay fever is decidedly unpleasant. Um, it can make people feel very unwell. But for asthma patients, uh, the challenge is greater, which is that it's an actual trigger for their asthma, or it can be for some patients. Um, and so I suppose from our point of view, we're all always trying to help and support patients to make sure that they feel well, you know, with the hay fever and keep it under control on a day-to-day basis, but also that in keeping it under control that they keep themselves safe and that they don't risk their asthma getting very seriously worse. This may sound like an awful basic question, Sarah, but what is hay fever? Essentially, it's um, it's an inflammation of the nose. It's the nose reacting in that um, kind of irritation mode, let's say, in the same way that that's how um, uh, the, the lungs are reacting um, to, to environmental experiences that they have. Um, uh, it's the same kind of irritation or over-response mode um, to uh, an, an allergic um, uh, aspect. Um, so, for example, um, when, when you have asthma, the lungs respond in three different ways. The first is that uh, the little tubes t- uh, right down into the lungs um, will swell. In swelling, they create um, a kind of a sticky mucus and it also affects uh, the muscle lining of, um, of, the, uh, of the, the wall of the, the lungs. And those three things mean that your, um, your airways become narrower uh, that it is harder to push air out of the lungs and the mucus makes um, uh, that distinct wheezing noise or also c- kind of yeah. contributes to the coughing that somebody who has asthma might be experiencing. Is it and all connected to grass or, or hay? Is it all connected to grass? 
I think hay is probably a bit of a red herring in that yeah. it's, um, it's not really about hay at all. Um, there are a number of different pollens that can cause people problems. Tree pollen is one. That season starts earlier in the year and grass pollen is another. So I presume it's come from hay as being hay fever as in around the season when hay gets cut that people experience a peak in um, in uh, in their hay fever. But like realistically that's to do with the pollen levels in the air and it's nothing to do with hay at all. It's to do with, with grass, with plants generally um, and um, obviously uh, the, the tree pollen um, season can, can be problematic for some people as well. Yeah, and are some people more troubled by, say, grass pollen or tree pollen or the other way around? Yeah, uh, yeah, but I suppose that one of the challenges in Ireland is a lot of people really haven't been tested and a lot of people really don't know. And for example, we did um, a recent survey of patients just to find out more about their experience with hay fever. And 30% of people had never sought any healthcare advice from their provider about managing their allergies. And that's really, really high if you think about it. Um, and so what it means is a whole load of people kind of put up with the situation every summer, year in, year out. They kind of say, oh, look, I always have a summer cold or I always have hay fever, it's always bad but they don't get any help from their doctor or they don't get any help from their pharmacist or, for example, they don't approach ourselves to get any help from our advice line system um, or uh, our advice line uh, nurse um, service or from our uh, nurse WhatsApp chat service, which means that really, um, you know, in general, you know, people can feel an awful lot better in their day-to-day lives, but actually um, it's that asthma management piece that is also really of big concern yeah. to us. And if, if you're not diagnosed with it, then obviously you're not getting the proper treatment for it alongside that, you can imagine. Is there a time of day that affects people worst? Um, There are a number of different points in the day that can be problematic. So for example, some of the things that we really recommend to people would be um, uh, to keep an eye on the pollen count and not to exercise when the pollen count is higher. Um, We recommend that people sleep with their eye, with their uh, with their windows closed because that can make a huge difference and for me as somebody who has asthma and hay fever um, that one change actually is the piece that has made the biggest difference to my summers over the last number of years because the pollen count can at times be very high very early in the morning if you're lying in bed near an open window and it's open all morning and the pollen is coming in really what that means is that you're accessing the pollen from a very early point in the day and it continues for the rest of the day like you, um, You'd think that it was more prominent in the, the, the heat of the afternoon wouldn't you? Yeah, and I suppose the other piece in the, that, that plays a role as well is wind. So on a day that's warm and windy, the pollen count will be higher because that, that pollen is moving more. And, it, you know, if you're out for a walk, for example, um, more of it will come in contact with your body. So I suppose there's, there's no um, specific exact science about on any given day what time of the day is worse because it really is dependent on the weather conditions. But there's a number of pieces there that can make a big difference to people. Can you get it from flowers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any, any of those, I mean, trees, flowers, plants um, and, and grass, obviously all of those, you know, pollen is how they function in, in the natural world. So mm. um, any of them could be a particular problem. Well, people who particularly love to put flowers in their garden then, should they become familiar with the kind of flowers that they should avoid? Yeah, so we, we actually have a booklet on our website um, about um, asthma and, and gardening, which um, gives a good indication of all of the plants which are more allergy friendly. And the other thing, of course, that is a kind of a, a corresponding point, which is a big disappointment to me because I love flowers, is um, for any of us who are hay fever um, experiencers, um, you know, having cut flowers in the house can be problematic. That can be um, a prompt. So it may be a question of maybe having them in the kitchen rather than the sitting room at night, for example, if you're sitting there and um, that kind of idea. So, you know, really, um, some of the hints and tips that we give are really quite uh, common sense and kind of um, kind of prudent because it's really about having an allergen or something that causes your mm. body a problem and removing that from your immediate body is, 
uh, surroundings if you think about it. Mm. Um, but those things do make a big difference to people. One of the other things um, that patients would very often point out as being helpful is wearing sunglasses whether they're out for a walk or particularly wraparound sunglasses if they are one of the people who finds that their eyes are particularly bothered and itchy and sore and scratchy as a result of hay fever. That can be quite important as well. Is there, and I know we're all being encouraged these days to, to let our grass grow a little more, but sometimes at this time of the year, if you don't cut it, it's going to come in the kitchen window to you. Is there a better time of the day to cut the grass if you are prone to a grass allergy? I think the real recommendation that we've been making, and, and this is something we've been discussing with medical, uh, our medical director, um, Dr. Marcus Butler, is that really cutting the grass, if you're somebody who experiences hay fever, is something you should be asking another family member or a neighbour or somebody else to do Well, for yeah, you. but if they do, I mean, is there a better time that they can do it, say, if you have someone in the house who cuts the grass who isn't affected by it, is there a better time for them to cut the grass so your, the effect on you is, is, is less... We, we haven't really been given any guidance on that. I mean, I think um, in general, when we're trying to give guidance, we try to be really led by the, the kind of the science behind it. So yeah. there doesn't seem to be many scientific research studies of which time of the day is less of a trigger. So for us, I suppose we have to kind of take the piece of guidance, which is, look, really try not to do it yourself. Try to close the windows. If you have a pet, for example, who's outside when the grass is being cut, make sure somebody else wipes that pet down. And the other piece, which can be quite important as well, is um, try not to dry your clothes outside at this time of the year. Or if you are in particular, try not to dry bed sheets or get somebody else to shake them outside before you bring them in. So, you know, we're trying to be as science-led as we can be with any of the kind of studies that exist. Um, but obviously we don't have a study you know, that perfectly matches every single question we'd love to answer. But Lastly, is, is there a good answer. app? Is there an app that you would recommend for watching the pollen count? So the first protocol that we recommend is that people go to our website. We have a hay fever tracker on our website, which means that people can see what the hay fever levels are like today and the following day. Um, and that's across every different province in Ireland. Um, you know, we have um, anything from tens to hundreds of thousands of people who check that every single summer. They find it really useful. It's often the first thing they do in the morning to make sure that they're kind of prepared for the day. Um, and alongside that tracker, we have all of the hints and tips about managing your hay fever. Um, and I suppose we also have a call to action to people which is, look, the survey tells us that a huge proportion of people with asthma and with allergies haven't actually talked to their GP or to their healthcare professional about the allergies part. Um, and your your airways begin at the tip of your nose and they go right down um, into your, the bottom of your lungs. So they're all connected. Um, and really, if you manage to get the hay fever management piece right, that's a huge part in terms of the asthma management. And if any of your listeners there think, actually, that's me. I've never asked for any help for that. I've never asked for any support. I don't feel great with hay fever and I think it's a good idea for me to get some help. Um, uh, our nurse advice line is available. People can give us a call on 1-800-44-5464 and we will set up a nurse appointment normally within about 24 hours um, and the nurse will go through it um, with, the, with the patient and we'll talk them through it for about a half an hour, okay. help you identify what your asthma or your hay fever triggers are and you know, suggest a, a particular plan in place and maybe give some support so, so that somebody can go back and get the kind of treatment that they need, and um, whether that's with their GP or with their pharmacy um, and that can be a really helpful intervention with people. We often find people phone us back saying oh I'd love to do that again next summer, it really helped me get it in control at the beginning of the year and at the moment with peak hay fever season you know our phone lines are very busy uh, providing that service and um, so the other thing I'd suggest is that people um, uh, are very interested in getting a little bit of help and support we have a brilliant um, WhatsApp nurse messaging service and they're very busy with hay fever at the moment but they're always available if people need a hand um, and that's um, if you send a WhatsApp text to 086 059 
0132 and the nurse will just message you back and you can kind of kick off a conversation. Um, and one of the most helpful things we've been able to provide across both services, but particularly on the WhatsApp, is we have a really good graphic tracker which shows you the differences between hay fever symptoms and asthma symptoms, COPD symptoms, and you know, and uh, the normal kind of cold or flu symptoms um, alongside COVID. And um, we send that out to people as an image. They save it down onto their phone and they have it there. If they get any bit anxious or worried, they can have a look at it and they can say, actually, do you know, do I need to manage my hay fever or do I need to intervene and get some uh, medical advice about whether you know I might need to get a COVID test? And that's one of the most helpful interventions we've been able to give people this summer and last summer. So people, if they send a WhatsApp message to okay. 86 and um, 059. Um, and that can kickstart your, your hay fever and your asthma management conversation. The nurses are absolutely fantastic. They're respiratory specialists and the help that they give people, whether it's over the phone for the appointment or over WhatsApp, is really, it's really superb. A couple of questions before I let you go. Uh, what is the strongest hay fever remedy that I can take? There's one I think that used to be prescription only, has gone on general sale this season, isn't it? Yeah, so I suppose the first thing that I'd say is, like, I'm not a healthcare professional, so I don't talk about the medical aspect of how you treat all of the, the different aspects of hay fever. Um, there are different kinds of medication that you can take. So you can obviously take um, over-the-counter um, antihistamines, and there are two versions of those, so they're what they call first generation and second generation. Um, and then um, other people would take um, what's called um, a, a, a nasal spray, and often the nasal spray, um, for example, if you have uh, hay fever and if that's been diagnosed and if you're getting treatment from your GP, and that might be a, a nasal um, spray with a steroid in it to reduce the swelling or inflammation that you're experiencing in your nose. And the other piece then that um, our medical director, Marcus Butler, would really recommend people look into, and you can go to your local pharmacist to get this, is about a nasal wash. And what that does is um, it uses water and so it quite um, simply to, to wash the, the pollen out of the nasal cavities to make sure that it doesn't stay there as an irritant. So generally what people would experience is any one of a combination of those three kinds of treatments um, but your GP or our nurses on the advice line or on the WhatsApp service would be really good to guide people through that and I really like people to get the really good medical advice as opposed to my um, reparsing of the medical advice which isn't okay. exactly the same well, you're, thing. You're, you're, you're flying at it. Lastly and briefly, can you get can you suddenly develop hay fever when you never had it before but as an adult? Yeah, so we, we would hear about that and I suppose that relates to any of the kind of allergies or, or asthma in general. People always think that asthma is only a childhood illness but actually you can develop it at any point in your life and oftentimes what would happen is that um, um, people might have had mild hay fever in previous years and then they might have one summer where it seems to go mad and I suppose week in week out they would kind of keep hoping oh I think it would get better I think it would get better and if that is any of your listeners right now if they think gosh I think I'm having one of those summers now that we really recommend that people either use our services they go to their GP or they go to the pharmacist because um, I mean the symptoms are really uh, you know they can be a little bit so destroying for the summer and um, for example I mean people um, talk about um, experiencing a sneezy nosy stuffy nose a, a runny nose and um, uh, sneezing sneezing fits which can be quite embarrassing certainly I had one particular summer where I just basically was in a chew machine all summer long and um, people would get a stuffy or itchy nose and um, uh, itchy, itchy burning eyes and the other piece that often people um, would report is that people feel really tired with it so it can make it hard for people to get to sleep particularly the scratchy um, kind of feeling at the back of people's throat can make it hard for people to get to sleep um, and that can be a problem okay. so f- for people who experience hay fever during the summer and um, for some people it can be quite 
smile and it's merely a frustration or an irritant. For other people, they can feel really, really unwell and it can make them really hate the summer months. And oh, then yeah. obviously the extra piece of worry is for some people, it can cause their asthma to be uncontrolled. And there are some instances where that can happen quite suddenly and somebody can, for example, sometimes for the first time in their lives, experience an asthma attack out of the blue. And so that's why we talk about it from the Asthma Society's point of view because, like I said, that, that idea that the airways start at the nose and end right down in the lungs, you know, we're trying to make sure that we're looking after every part of that. Okay. All right. Listen, Sarah, good to talk with you today. That's Sarah O'Connell. She's the CEO of the Asthma Society of Ireland. You'll find them online. And that helpline number, she gave away a load of information there, but you'll find it all on their website. And there's a helpline at 1-800-44-5464. one 800 44 54 64. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Cork Diary on Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not for profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you want mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email your details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. On Cork's 96FM. Amy. Hi. Hello. How are we? Good. What have you got to say to me? Play Cork's 96FM. There you go. What are you doing today down in Sallybrook? Nothing. Just got the little fella, so we're going to the park trying to entertain. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a nice day for it though, I'd say. It's a bit cloudier than we were hoping. Hopefully that'll clear up in the afternoon. Hopefully, hopefully. All right, well, we'll put you back on to Terry for all the details. And uh, you're our latest winner on Free Speaker Friendly uh, Frenzy. Cheers, Amy, on Cork's 96 FM. Remember, it's with Blackpool fully opened up. Great to be back and see blackpool.ie and stay listening to win only on Cork's 96 FM. Simon will have another one this afternoon. Now, today is the last day of June, which means it's the last day of Pride Month. And during Pride Month, we've had a number of stories from members of the LGBTQ plus community here in Cork. Uh, This morning, I have the story of Jamie O'Connell. Now, Jamie grew up in the Jehovah's Witnesses faith, and he was speaking to me, or has been speaking to me, about how that conflicted with his true self. And he's written a novel also called Diving for Perils, and that's out now. And we'll talk about that too in the course of the conversation, which we've been having in the last couple of days. Jamie, welcome to the programme. You grew up, at what stage in your life did you realise, A, I'm gay, and B, because I'm gay and a Jehovah's Witness, this is going to be a serious problem? I was probably the last person. It certainly appeared that way to me looking back on it. I was the last person for that ever even dawned on. To be honest with you, I didn't even really think about it until I was maybe 19 as a potential option. The I think you have to think about what it was 25 years ago when, when in the 90s, and especially growing up in like rural Cork and things like that, there was just no there was no gay people around to even relate to. So I, I did feel incredibly different to the boys of my generation, even in school or even within the religion that, you know, as much as 
they're cliches. I think cliches do come from somewhere, but I was very much like <laughs> listening to the Spice Girls and no interest in sport. Like I was, I was a bit of a cliche, I suppose, really mm. without even realizing it. And uh, it was actually years later when I met my mother, actually my real mother, who uh, I hadn't really seen for most of my childhood, who I, the last time I'd seen her, I was about four. And she was like, you were a soft child. There was just, you know, she mm. knew I was, I didn't have to come out to her and she left the previous time she'd seen me before that I was four. So yeah. your parents split up when you were very small. Isn't that right? Yeah. So my mother and father split up really before my memory. So it would have been, I was a toddler at the time and, uh, and it wasn't an amicable split at all. And, uh, over a few years, my mother then eventually kind of bit by bit left my life. So I didn't really see her after the age of four till I was an adult. And then my father, uh, obviously became a Jehovah's Witness and uh, married my stepmother. So I was essentially, for my my memory that I have that's clear, I was raised very much as a Jehovah's Witness. Now, we hear about and you read about an attitude towards homosexuality within the faith, the Jehovah's Witness faith. What is it, Jamie? What does your faith, as you were, the faith you grew up in, what does it say about being gay? Well, I suppose the Jehovah's Witness faith, they see it as going back to the core Bible, sort of the Bible is is it. You know, I, I, other religions like Catholicism and, and Protestantism have had all these Council of Trent and all these kind of layers of religious doctrine that have been added to the Bible. And I think the Jehovah's Witnesses kind of ethos is to go back to purely the Bible itself and operate from there and to take it very much as is. And obviously in the Bible, there's certain verses they pick out which relate to homosexuality and they just follow that rule exactly as is. It's a very uh, literal translation of the Bible that, that that they take. And do they see it as a disorder that can be that can be cured? I think I suppose the Catholic Church is the same thing where you're born a sinner, you know, you're born with original sin. And this is just another manifestation of an imperfection that humanity has since kind of Adam and Eve. So the idea with it, I suppose, I left the religion, but if I'd stayed in the religion, it would have been my cross to kind of bear and to sort of live a half-life, it felt really... So, so you could in stay religion. in the religion, but you'd live a celibate life? You, you A celibate life, and, you know, that would be it. I mean, obviously it would be ethically wrong for me to have a fake marriage with a, you know, with a woman. It would have been a wrong thing to do. Wouldn't have worked for me. It was not. Uh, I have a very <laughs> low tolerance, I've discovered, to living in a way that's not working for me. I can't. Some people seem to be able to bear it for years and years and years. And I, I feel in life, there's always two paths when it comes to suffering. And one is you either rip off the bandage and it hurts like, a lot for a time, or you kind of live with this low-lying depression or unhappiness. And, you know, that definitely happens with maybe gay people who aren't out. They're kind of just living with a slow line, general, you know, just about bearable misery. Whereas actually for me to come out and just, I suppose, move away from that, uh, it was desperately painful for a few years. I, I really... And probably painful more due to the wiring of of the upbringing that I'd had than actually the external things. You know, it, it just you were brought up strictly within within the church, and there you were then at nineteen or twenty, realizing that you were gay, realizing that this went against everything that that the church stood for, realizing that the best you'd have is a half, is a half life. That must have been awfully hard mentally, was it? I think the mental 
if I'm honest, the, the mental suffering probably started and gradually grew from probably the ages of even eight or nine and right. that kind of feeling of death, that feeling of difference. And I definitely felt like, and this is how I felt, I, you know, you can maybe speak to my parents and they'd say something different. But from my point of view, I felt like I wasn't the child my parents wanted from a young age. I felt like, as I saw my parents, my father was a carpenter who loved his Harley Davidson, who became a Jehovah's Witness and a very strong religion. And then there was me who was just no chip off the old block in any way, shape or form. Uh, it's sort of the pendulum swung just to complete other extreme. And no matter what I did, and I, I, I think what developed in my teenage years before I realized what was going on was this kind of, if I'm just perfect, I'll get approval if I just am perfect. And this kind of perfectionism started taking over where like to come top of the class and 98% wasn't 100%. And I remember getting my leaving certificate points and because I, I mean, I got good well into the 500s and some things, but it wasn't 600. And I got the highest results in my school and I was the unhappiest student in my school that day because I hadn't got my 600. So, and that weight of just constantly seeking to people please and to just be better and better and better started burning me out completely. And I just felt around my leaving cert year, the cracks were starting to show in kind of my mental health and things like that, just in terms of agoraphobia, just being in crowds, it just made me pass out, if I'm honest. <laughs> I just start panicking and then I literally just black out and have to be taken out of a space. It just was starting to become the mental pressure was becoming too much to bear. Uh, and were you, were you close to your parents? I know you were that in, in, so different, like you say, from your dad, but were you close to your parents? I feel this is a religion thing. And I, I think most children of kind of religious parents might feel similar where there's the truthful answer, which is how you feel, but you learn to give the right answer, which is the official line of whatever the religion is. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, and, and so what ends up, I felt end up happening was my parents saw the mask that I'd created this kind of fictional, good, you know, good Christian son, you know, and knew the right answers and knew if I gave the wrong answers that, I would likely be pulled up on it and brought into the sitting room and sort of handed a load of Jehovah's Witness material and said, like, you gave the wrong answer. This is the right answer. And just being, it would keep going until I just eventually said yes. So, so you were desperately unhappy. And now leaving isn't just a matter of that's it. Like young Catholic man decides, well, I'm not going to mass anymore. But it's not as simple as that for a Jehovah's Witness. There's this, like, have you been defellowshipped, Jamie? I have never had the words said to me. Uh, just the way I left actually involved me physically moving to another location. So it's never had the kind of, there's a formal process that they do. And it's probably been done in sort of in absentia, I'm mm. assuming. Uh, but, you know, my siblings have been, you know, and uh, I have two sisters and they have been disfellowshipped. And... And what does that mean? It means you are shunned by by your by your family and by your community. And I suppose I, the framework that I put is you're brought up within that community. You're very much your friendships are within the community. You're, I was definitely not encouraged to have friendships hugely outside of school. So if those parties on, you wouldn't go. You know that kind of thing. So what they're threatening in that kind of disfellowshipping is not just they're taking away your entire social group and your community. So it, it is quite intense because certainly when I left, 
bar one friend who actually was leaving the religion at the same time as me, a very close friend. And I actually think that was one of the reasons why I got through it. Uh, I had to start from scratch again. You know, I had to build a new life and meet people from the beginning. And uh, the damage, I think what actually happened was it's this, this threat of abandonment that just sits behind everything. You know, even the, what I described a few minutes ago about the saying the wrong thing and then having, you know, your parents then say, this is not the right thing to say. And this is the right, you know, this is the way you should think it's, there's a threat of emotional abandonment then, even if it's not a physical one, it's mm. like, it, it, it's abandonment, aband you know, it's just a constant theme in the background is in if I, if I'm not a chip off the old block, if I don't follow, you know, and, and become sort of a carbon copy of everyone else, then I will just be rejected. And that is what happened. And, you know, so, but I will say, you know, outside of that, I have relatives who are still Jehovah's Witnesses and they are good people and they check in occasionally and it's very, you know, at a level and they may even, you know, message me kind of nice comments every now and again. Have you a relationship with your dad or your stepmom? Uh, no, I, that's really, I came out at 19. I remember there was a phone call. My parents no longer live in Ireland and there was a phone call and that was it. Like I told them I was gay and it was, it was not a sort of <laughs> in films it's almost an empowering kind of thing or something but for me it was like a, a relief because actually what had happened was I hadn't left the religion but I was also sort of a foot in both camps you know so I was living essentially a double life and I actually don't think there's anything more damaging to your mental health than living two lives at once mm. and so I had, you know, I, I had, was starting to get like, gay friends and even just like dated a few guys and would go out to gay bars, but then be half in the religion. And it actually, the scramble that was in my head at that age of endless chatter, you know, this chatter that went on, you know, where you're, you're, you can't process it because your mind isn't, it, it's a totally contradiction. It's a contradiction in the real world. So it's a contradiction in your head. So you tell your family and... Mm then you decide, right, I'm going to live the life that I want to live. Mm. How, how quickly were you able to, if you want, take the path that you wanted to take and how, you know? I'm still learning, actually, if I'm honest. I've come a long way. I feel at that age, it's, it's so, it was so pendulum swinging from extremes. And I suppose now I, I feel the pendulum is swinging a lot less. I'm in a more kind of centered space. What, I, I've done two sets of therapy in my in my over the last few years, and I, one when I was in my early twenties, I did some therapy. But then I did a really kind of I did two years of weekly therapy in my early thirties uh, because I started getting really bad anxiety. Yeah. And how much of all these troubled years that you're working to, you know, working your way through, how much of that do you put down to the difficulties that you had? in trying to come out, in, in growing up, knowing you were gay, knowing you were different, within the church? Within the, I think it's probably a significant part of it. The other significant part, which I know isn't the, the conversation today, isn't particularly about it, is obviously my mother and that yeah. one thing I learned in therapy, that really early childhood, uh, uh, the, the, you know, whatever the reason was for it, at the end of the day, a child missing their mother from the ages of three oh, or yeah. four has, has an emotional impact. Oh, so. Yeah. It, I'm in a situation where I have two parents who I am not speaking to, you know, I'm estranged from and I've kind of accepted that. So between the two 
kind of elements there. I do think that's where, because I think what happens to the child is when this kind of thing happens, it's it's not the first thing you do is certainly my neurotic tendency is it's all my fault. I've, I've caused this, you know, I, when in actual fact, these situations are way more complicated. It's just a, a child's immediate response to blame themselves for, you know, what happens. And, and that isn't really the case. So I don't believe anyone is born this neurotic <laughs> or uh, or I don't believe people are born intrinsically bad. I do actually feel, uh, you know, if I do have any kind of faith is that I do truly feel that people are good at heart and nearly everyone I've met, even people who I've gone, I'm not sure of them, but you know what? The odd thing happens, you suddenly have a coffee with them in a sort of a, in a relaxed setting or something and you suddenly see something of that and you're going, you know what? This is all just superficial stuff. This is just chatter. This is all, the the, the, the wounding is all at a level, but underneath it all, it's like the ocean, the waves are splashing up the top, but underneath it all, if you're, if you're lucky, and I've been very lucky to have, as I said, therapy and a sort of urban family that developed from my 20s on, that I've been able to find the still waters that sort of lie underneath the, the chaos on the surface. And, but the chaos, I don't think ever fully goes away. And I'm sure I found the healthiest thing to do is accept the fact that it's part of the journey and, uh, there is, uh, I, I, I can't think of the word for it, but there's a, a type of Japanese art where if a piece of pottery is broken or, or shatters, they don't try and stick it back together using like a super glue or to try and make it look as close to perfect as it once was. But instead they use gold as the, the sealant to, to, to hold the piece back together. Uh, the idea that you turn these sort of broken bits into something beautiful, it's, it's turning the wound into a, mm. something of beauty. And I feel... All of us, no one reaches adulthood without a few knocks and a few dents. And I think it's our job as adults to turn those cracks into gold, <laughs> if I'm honest. And that's been my experience. And uh, I feel very lucky that that I think what I've got out of it is now is that when I meet other people with their stories, I feel a connection to nearly everyone I meet, you know, mm. because we all have it, you know, and in a way I wouldn't be without any of it either because I'm quite happy with the the path that's ongoing. It, it has made you the man you are today. Yeah. Now, the book, this is not a biography or an autobiography. This is a book of, a fictional book, Diving for Pearls. But you decided to, what, write a character based on your own life? Is that it? To be honest with you, Every one of them is me in some way. <laughs> I actually realised they all have their little neuroses. They all have neuroses. You know, even Joan, who's like the Irish mammy in it, like she's making herself beans on, beans on toast. And like there's the brown little bean in the beans and she can't even handle it on the plate and she puts it in the bin, you know, so before she eats the food because she doesn't like the look of it. And that's me. Like, if I'm honest, that, that's part of my neuroses. <laughs> But I mean, the character of Asim, who's in it, who's the the gay Emirati, who is Muslim, obviously, and I'm not claiming someone who's grown up in a Muslim environment in the Middle East is definitely going to have had a somewhat different experience to myself. But I think the wound is the same in that definitely the gay friends I know who are from the Middle East, it's the feeling of... Uh, not being the child your parents want or, you know, the feeling of just not being good enough. And I could see the exact same patterns coming out in them of high, trying to high, achieve highly and 
but then at the same time it's kind of like running on treadmill that's going nowhere so then you end up you know a lot of them I would have known would have then had the big nights out and you know and then the shame of the big nights out because you've been trained to live another way and uh Funny enough, and you know, we briefly mentioned it before going on air, but the there's a bit in it where Asim is in a restaurant and pork is served to him, and he struggles to just put the pork in his mouth, and he has this moment where he's like, "But I'm in a gay relationship. Like, surely that's much worse than having a piece of pork." Uh, which actually if I'm honest, connected back to my feeling of when I left the Joe's Witnesses and felt very clear of it. But then like the question of like the blood transfusion came up and like, would you have a blood transfusion? And suddenly I realized the wiring in there still, I felt a physical reaction to the idea of it, even though logically I felt very Mm. much beyond it. So the wiring was still there. So uh, I felt, I suppose, a deep affinity to that gay character on the emotional level, but of course, culturally, it, it is a very different world. I wish you well with that, and I wish you every success for the future, and it's been fascinating mm. to speak with you, Jamie. Great. Thanks, thanks, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Nice lad. Uh, Jamie O'Connell, his book is called Diving for Pearls, 1850-715-996. Quick call from Derek at St. Joseph's Community Association called to say today is the last day for Montanati Post Office and Derek wants to extend best wishes to Pauline at the Post Office and all her team for their service to the community. And indeed, so say all of us. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. We've got the soundtrack to your Wednesday afternoon completely sorted, plus your chance to bag yourself a brand new smart speaker and if you want a new iPad, and make sure you're listening from 12 on Corks 96 FM. Just before we go, a mention for Catherine Mahan Buckley. You'll remember that during the lockdown, when people were anxious to get into care homes to see their loved ones, Catherine spoke to me a couple of times about her mom, Pat, uh, who was in a care home and who'd had her vaccine, and Catherine was so desperate to get in to see her. And we spoke several times with Catherine about that entire situation. Well, I'm sad to tell you that Pat has passed away. Um, And Catherine has posted on Facebook, our beautiful mum Pat's journey of life is completed. Her work is done. She will always be in our hearts. Sleep well until we meet again. Catherine spoke so beautifully about her mother when she was on the opinion line. It was almost like we knew her ourselves. And our thoughts are with Catherine and her entire family today as we leave you. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.